Support for Elwood City Limits is brought to you by Facebook. Facebook.com slash Elwood City Limits. Twitter. At ECL Podcast. Tumblr. ElwoodCityLimits.tumblr.com. And Gmail. ElwoodCityLimits at gmail.com. And from listeners like you. Thank you. And my free time. Got to get that in there. Well, well, who's well, who's that over there? Like, who? You, 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 sir, you, sir, with the glasses. Roses are red, violets are blue. I watched Arthur this week, Will, and I hope you did too. Happy Valentine's Day, everybody! <laughs> Happy Valentine's Day. I was gonna, I was going for the bit of like we haven't done this in like a whole week, so I that's true. Didn't recognize you, but you were a lot more timely because like, I even forgot it's Valentine's Day. How, how could I forget my Valentine? Well, that's wrong. Uh, Am I your Valentine? I think you're the only one who dropped off a Valentine's Day card at my at my desk, so that's I think true. you're technically my Valentine for today. That's true. I did. Well, welcome back. It's been a while. Uh, it's been a minute since we kicked it here on Elwood City Limits. Uh, the El- the Arthur, the episodic Arthur podcast. See, it's, we've been gone so long, I forgot what it is that we do here. A little bit of ring rust, but we're getting back into the swing of it. That's right. My name is Will Young, your host, and joining me is my co-host, Lucas Mancini. Hey, Lucas. Hi. So, we are back with another very appropriate... <laughs> I was going to say topical <laughs> Arthur episodes. That's right. We've Last got- week, it was fake news. This week, it's the weather. I don't know what they're going to come up with next. They're going to be talking about, oh, in this Arthur episode, Arthur goes to Russia. Like, I don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> Arthur Arthur sees, seeks advice from a, uh, from a uh, heretofore unknown Russian friend. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if we're watching Arthur or... HBO's newsroom with how topical this show's Ugh, been. I really hope it's Arthur. <laughs> I really don't want to watch HBO's newsroom. Okay, maybe Arthur or Law and Order SVU. Okay, all right. There that's, you go. That's a little bit more competition. Well, thank you very much for joining us. Sorry for that for that little week off. We just kind of ended up uh, uh, with a whole lot of just life colliding. My in the last week, my laptop has died, which wasn't the reason why we missed it, but uh, you know, conflicting work schedules, and then of course this weather. We barely we're barely here to record this episode, so I'm, I'm yeah, glad folks, that we are. count yourself lucky. They <laughs> even get an Arthur episode this week. I'm kidding, of course. I, I love doing this show, and I was super nervous that we weren't going to be able to record with all this weather. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, our American friends, if they're on the East Coast, should be familiar with what we're experiencing. Yes. They're getting the same system, uh, but for those of you around the world, there's a lot of snow outside where me and Will are recording. That's right. In the Maritimes of Canada, uh, we are experiencing uh, near-record snowfalls, uh, and it has been, uh, I spent an hour and 15 minutes digging out my car today because it was wedged in with snow, and so and I only had my little car shovel, so I had to go at it, and finally, I was able to get it out, and then we've got another 25 centimeters coming in just a couple days. Hurrah! <laughs> uh, so thank you again for uh, for being here with us. Sorry for the uh, absence. In our absence, though, I'm happy to say that we got a piece of listener mail. And uh, through our uh, email address, elwoodcitylimits at gmail.com. So we uh, wanted to take some time because uh, this person brings up quite a few interesting points. Uh, the email is from Gareth. And he says, hello, Lucas. Hello, Will. Before I dive into my rambling, I just want to say how much I enjoy the podcast. Thank you very much. 
Uh, Gareth has a very nice uh, paragraph here. Arthur was my favorite show growing up. Remains one of my all-time favorites. I'm happy to say you two give it all the respect and gravitas it deserves. No problem, Gareth. Having marathoned about half of your shows thus far, I'd like to systematically go through everything that has jumped out at me from your first few episodes. <laughs> oh my goodness, buckle in. All right, so number one, the gray third grade rabbit's name is Alex, as confirmed in the episode McFrensky. That's I'm logging on to the Arthur Wikia as we speak <laughs> to uh, cross-reference this. Wow. Okay. So uh, Frank, no more. But Frank, no more. Maybe, maybe, uh, maybe he goes by his middle name, Alex, and Frank is his given name. Or yeah, he's Alex in quotations. Frank, that's yeah. his nickname. There yeah, you like, go. Yeah, like he's in the credits of a 90s movie. <laughs> exactly. Uh, number two, if you are still interested in finding Arthur episodes by legal means, Amazon does offer a completely legal way of watching the show for the, some would say, outrageous price of $1.99 per episode. I wonder if that's better if you have Amazon Prime. Mm. I know a large population of people do. I read that statistic recently. So, Well, there you go. You can find all of the episodes legally through Amazon. Number three, you often speak of Mr. Haney's befuddlement. I just think it of note to point out that it is revealed in the episode, The Boy with His Head in the Clouds, that he is dyslexic, something that I understand Will can sympathize with. I believe he means Lucas, since th- yeah, you yeah. are dyslexic. Um, yes, uh, that is true. Uh, Mr. Haney is revealed later on to be... Uh, he is retconned to be dyslexic. Well, maybe that explains why I like him so dang much. That could be. Could be. Uh, number four, Elwood City is probably analogous to Boston, Massachusetts. Wikipedia goes into more detail than I will here. I didn't know there was a Wikipedia page for the city. But ultimately, other than having a similar climate, the largest clue comes from the episode The Curse of the Grebes, which presents a fictional representation of the real-life Boston Red Sox, referencing baseball lore such as The Curse of the Bambino and vaguely the rivalry between the Red Sox and the New York Yankees. I was going to jokingly say, what is this, an Arthur episode about The Curse of the Great Bambino? I, I am so excited to actually get to that. Well, I think that's all the evidence we need. I mean, we've speculated that it's on the East Coast. Uh, well, we've flopped between East Coast and American Midwest. But yeah. because of we saw the Boston feed of this show and all the kids seem to be from Boston in the uh, word from us kids, mm-hmm. this, this has always made the most sense. Uh, it's good to hear it almost confirmed, though. And of course, WGBH is in Boston, right? So like would, I said, yeah, probably, probably them uh, writing and drawing what they know. Number five, Buster is never diagnosed with ADD or ADHD, and based on how quick many doctors are to diagnose those, I'd say it's safe to assume Buster is simply lazy or easily distracted. He's later diagnosed with asthma, but that's neither here nor there. You're right. Uh, there is nothing official that we're so. Uh, that's not our place to misdiagnose. That's <laughs> true. I am. Not a doctor. <laughs> uh, so his number six point is quite in depth. And Gareth, we're going to just uh, uh, kind of cut this down a little bit. Uh, he just wants to say a uh, point that gets under his skin is our, un- I'm quoting from him, unflinching obsession with the hierarchy of animals and attempts to make sense of the anthropomized characters. Anthropomorphized, excuse me. Uh, to which he says the Arthur universe is simply an artistic representation of our own. In other words, if you ignore the way characters look, the show will never make reference to there being animals otherwise. In fact, they call each other humans in the dialogue. And Wait, what? So on and so forth. Whoa, uh, whoa, whoa, whoa. 
I need some I, citations on that. I don't he, think they're like, I don't think Buster's rolling up like, what's up, my human? How's it doing, homo sapien? Like, <laughs> uh, I'm going to need to see the receipts on that one. Uh, he does go on to say, uh, cite other examples of uh, different nationalities uh, and uh, uh, countries of origin in upcoming episodes. So in conclusion, I cannot overstate this. The fact that the Arthur characters resemble animals bears no significance of any kind. Beyond the occasional in-joke, the designs are simply artistic license, no different than the long yellow face of Homer Simpson. Gareth, I super appreciate your email, but the more I think about that last point, the more I disagree. We have plenty of episodes where Buster's referred to as a bunny, Mm. a sad, sad bunny, and some other examples, and other people are all like... George is called a moose. Like people are referred to as their animal, respective animals, all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I'm not going to let go of this animal hierarchy thing because there's episodes where DW will meet a non anthropomorphized moose, yet Arthur goes to class with one, and right. they never. I don't think they've ever <laughs> called each other like people or humans. So well, ne- well, I'll tell you what I'm going to be, you know, paying attention to like a hawk. <laughs> That's right. If anything, you've made us look, pay attention, and deconstruct this more rather than less. Mm-hmm. Uh, and finally, uh, number seven. On a similar note, you postulated that the Arthur universe might potentially have different political parties than our own. <laughs> However, the political system presented in the show is an exact mirror of the United States system. He re- so he references DW goes to Washington, which is in the next season, which is uh, basically as President Bill Clinton. Uh, another episode later on that aired in 2001 featuring George W. Bush. Oh, that's interesting. And, and apparently one from two years ago featuring Barack Obama. Oh, what animal was Barack Obama? Oh, I don't. Ooh, that's a good question. I'm going to have to go watch that episode. While I cannot definitively speak on David Reed's political leanings, I must say you are spot on about the crosswires. <laughs> awesome podcast. Keep up the great work, guys. Gareth. Well, Gareth, thank you very much. You clearly had a lot to say, and we really do appreciate it. Uh, even if it may not fall in line with the way we interpret the show, uh, still appreciate everybody's viewpoint on that. So thank you, Gareth. And, of course, if you'd like to uh, email something to us, ElwoodCityLimits at gmail.com. I was really I was really bummed that we couldn't read that last week because I was like, man, I can't wait to dig into this email. <laughs> and what there was to dig into. That's That's some great stuff. Speaking of dig... Snow. It's time to get into our two episodes today. The first one is DW's Snow Mystery. I can't stress enough how weird it's been that these episodes are starting to mirror our lives. Truly, art imitates life or vice versa. Yeah, for sure. So the episode starts off with DW trying to beg her mother not to throw out her favorite book, to which Arthur editorializes by saying DW likes to save stuff. So she's kind of a, a mini hoarder. Because well, speaking of art imitating life, um, my little sister exudes the exact same qualities Mm-mm. DW does here, especially when she was younger. She would always not want to throw out anything, no matter how little she used it. Okay. So, the yeah. I understand I understand that tendency. I You know, it kind of gets to me as well. Although, Arthur, I want to, like, this is a pretty, this is a real quick setup to the episode. He's just like, to get to the point that he's making, because he's like, DW would save everything. She likes to save her acorns. And then there's the snowball. And I'm like... <laughs> I kind of need maybe one more thing in there, like just to just to flesh it out. eh? it's like she collects acorns and books, I guess. Okay, and then the snowball. It's like that's not really hoarding as we get into. There's a very specific reason why she has this one snowball. It'd be interesting if someone like did some editing tricks around this opening sequence and like turned it into a little mini episode of TLC's Hoarders. (laughs) 
DW with all these acorns. There's not enough room left for DW in there. Just Photoshop in a stack of old newspapers in her room. Exactly. Just I'm going to read them. I'm going <laughs> to read them. Uh, so, yes, the the uh, the episode is based around a snowball that DW has saved in a plate in the freezer. And she kind of takes a look at it. And we begin the episode where she goes Yes, sorry. Oh, sorry. No, I, 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 I just wanted to say that at this point, when she looks at the snowball, this image is ingrained in my brain. This is in. This is a legendary right. Arthur episode. I feel like even your your typical layman who maybe watched Arthur a little bit when they were a kid, it wasn't even their favorite show. Everybody knows this episode. I feel like this is almost the prototypical episode of Arthur. Right. Uh, D.W. Snowball. And I, it might be the first one of these that we've run into where it's like this is, this is one of those Arthur episodes that everybody that's our age remembers. That's true. Uh, so we begin the episode, D.W., checking the freezer and – then she finds the snowball missing and she says, maybe I'm dreaming. And like, you know, normally when, you know, the dreaming, it's like you kind of like pinch yourself. This time she like kind of pulls her cheek real <laughs> tight with like elastic and then just slaps, smacks her skin. It's very Hellraiser. Yeah, a little bit. And then uh, she lets out this huge scream and her mom comes to see what's wrong. And like DW has got her face in the freezer. She comes out and she's got like ice forming around the tips of her hair and like it's like her tears have formed into a into a, like an icy tear and it's just like talk about frosted tips <laughs> thank you thank you thank you uh, so, she, <laughs> so she's very upset about this and mom says what we're all thinking it's just a snowball and Dewey GW said, it's not just a snowball. And so we get the backstory of this snowball, whereas uh, DW and Arthur the previous winter had a great time playing in the snow and, uh, you know, ha- making forts, having snowball fights, building snowmen, all that good stuff. And then they uh, beat their parents in a snowball fight. DW brings in a uh, snowball on a plate or just brings in a snowball in her hand. And she says she wants to freeze it. She always uh, wants to have a piece of this day. And what I liked here was that the way it's shot, it's that DW is in the kitchen as mom is washing dishes. And Arthur kind of appears behind her, but she doesn't know that he's there. And mom's kind of skeptical at letting her keep it. And then Arthur just kind of looks at her and just like gives her a nod of like, come on, let her keep it. So Arthur instrumental in letting that snowball be in the freezer, unbeknownst to DW. And that one shot like really added depth to Arthur's character. Mm-hmm. Uh, so far, his relationship with DW has been kind of one note or two notes, really. It depends on what the episode needs. Sometimes DW is like an exposition machine that hangs out with Arthur, right. or sometimes she's the antagonist. And yeah. that's all really she's had room to be so far in terms of their relationship. So this added a little bit of death, though. Oh, he wants his sister to be happy and they keep the snowball. Yeah, it's always good when they, uh, they add a little bit of sugar to the salt that is DW and Arthur's relationship of just like... Like, they do care about each other. They just also get on each other's nerves. Though I will say, they're never getting that plate back. Like, you know what I mean? I Maybe this is because I kind of live in a bachelor apartment by myself. Uh, but there's not, well, there's not all that many plates to yeah, go around. Yeah, a plate is a thing to lose for a year. That's all I'll say. I've got – I would have – I could spare one plate. I, I, I think I'd be fine. But I Listen, understand. Listen, I could spare one, but – 
I would feel its loss. Is that's all I'm trying to say? <laughs> and don't even get me started. Let's say they had to some reason to get rid of a butter knife. Oh, that's not happening. <laughs> you'll pry. You'll pry those butter knives from my cold dead hands. <laughs> um, I noted here that uh, so DW kind of finishes her. Uh, Thing where it's like in the summer she checked on it so it's been about a full year that she's had this snowball you know it's like her and Arthur playing around in the sprinkler outside and she just goes to check on the snowball uh, I noted here that in this episode at times the animation seems kind of weirdly off model there are like weird proportions and expressions here and there like I noted that there's like a shot of Arthur kind of uh, looking around in the backyard and it's like his head is weirdly small and, like, I don't know, I just kind of noticed little inconsistencies here with the animation. What I noticed is that a lot of times Arthur looked a little bit more like his, um, the the model you see in the picture books. Like, his snout looks longer sometimes. You think so? Yeah, and I, I don't know if that's just, this, our, uh, this episode was, like, super early in the production cycle, or if it's just a simple case of, like, different storyboard artists. Because I know, again... And this is never something I noticed until I was an adult, but uh, as an adult watching animation, a lot of shows will vary pretty wildly from, you know, episode to episode, depending on who's doing the storyboards. You look at a show like Adventure Time, and mm. those characters look almost completely different depending on who the storyboard art, storyboard excuse me artist is for that episode. So right. I wonder if this is just a simple case of that. Could be. I, I don't know enough about animation to really say, but I, it was very noticeable to me. So... DW is in tears that her snowball is missing and then immediately just thinks Arthur will know where it is. So he becomes suspect number one. At this point, Arthur, Buster, and Francine are in Arthur's room making a clock tower out of toothpicks. And it looks like quite the undertaking. It's pretty tall. I wonder if this is for fun or for a project. It's it's a good question. Like, uh, I don't know which one would be better considering that DW comes into Arthur's room and just starts ransacking it. She is just hunting for that for that snowball, like turning things over and stuff. And uh, she gives a great like. They're just like, like DW. What are you doing? Like, is something missing? And then there's a great like zoom in of like, you want to know what's missing? You want to know what's missing? <laughs> and then of course they they all go yes. And then the toothpick tower just crumbles and I'm like that looks like a, easily a day's work if not two. <laughs> oh, that's got to be heartbreaking uh, so DW is kind of suspicious of them but also looking for anybody's help and to which Buster says this calls for detective work we get the return of Buster Baxter private eye <laughs> love it so far one of the worst private eyes in television history uh, Columbo Buster is not. I don't think he's solved a single mystery when he's been the person like, like heading the mystery. You know, he just needs to go, eh, one more thing. <laughs> eh, just one more thing. Uh, but yeah, but hey, he's he's all heart and he's ready to take on any case. And so he gets out his notepad and pencil, asks DW, when was the last time she saw the snowball? Which, to be fair, Francine asked like 10 minutes ago. So we get at this point... Uh, what what's kind of the fun theme of the episode is that we get the, everybody's take on what happened the day before when she last saw the snowball, 
But what comes with that is this theme of like false memories where it's like everybody has their own version of the events, which are seemingly more fantastic than the next. And I wrote down the variations here as we kind of got to them. So the first one, of oh, course. Oh, sorry. I just want to yeah, say this uh, This episode, this is when I realized this episode's like a cross between Rashomon mm. and like it also has a very David Mamet vibe to the whole thing. Okay. Like this whole episode ends up taking place in one location. Uh, it's like it's it's, 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 a, it's, it's, a, it's a bottle episode in a cartoon. It, it's like a stage play almost. <laughs> like it really is. It, it reminded me of like the David Mamet movie Death Trap or something like that where like. I, I don't know if I've seen any David uh, Mamet. Everybody, it's very dialogue heavy and it's kind of everybody trying to figure out this mystery in this one location or not even David Mamet it's almost like the usual suspects okay. that's actually a way better analogy because the usual suspects is that whole movie is the interview with Kevin Spacey yes and the whole thing is sort of told in flashbacks same format and I thought that this was a really fun idea for an Arthur episode the greatest trick that Arthur ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist the snowball didn't exist <laughs> uh, so the first person whose memories we get is DW uh, so the the overarching narrative from the other day is that Grandma Thora and Mrs. McGrady came by and they sat down and had some ice cream. And then at some point the snowball went missing. And also Arthur, Buster and Francine were there. Uh, and then there are the variations in there. Like DW answering the door. Uh, Grandma Thor and Mrs. McGrady are there. She jumps into Grandma Thor's arms and she says, "DW, my favorite grandchild." <laughs> and then we get it. And then we cut to Arthur. She's like, "Oh, hi, Arthur." And Arthur is this. <laughs> The way Arthur's portrayed is like a knuckle-dragging Neanderthal he, in this It's this so sequence. strange. It's like he literally is. He's like slumped over. His arms are – his hands are so close to the floor. And he like wipes his mouth. And he's like, hi, Grandma. And I'm like – what are we? What insult are we going for here? He's just kind of like snotty and whiny and kind of dumb. Like it's so. It's so like. I, I guess childish is the way that I can think of it. But it's just like what? What are we going for? This here? is what Arthur looks like from DW's perspective. Just general, generally unpleasant. <laughs> yeah, like unpleasant is a great way to put it. Because I'm like, after that one line reading, I'm like, let's never cut to Arthur again. <laughs> uh, but uh, it's. I thought I still thought it was really funny. And then, and then uh, Arthur's inconsistency that, that he finds is that. Grandma Thora didn't know about the snowball. She asked, like, how's that snowball of yours? And then he's like, wait a minute, she didn't know about that. Yeah, it wasn't the part where she said she loved DW more. <laughs> You'd think he'd <laughs> cut in at that point. Uh, and then we cut to Arthur's memory of that, uh, which is Grandma Thora and Mrs. McGrady come in the house, <laughs> and you get a side-by-side of Arthur and DW. DW looks the same. Arthur has, like, grown a foot and is, like, like flex, like flexing his shoulders, like in the old bodybuilder pose. Arthur, like, mu- Arthur, much like me, if I had control of my own narrative, adds three inches. Right, <laughs> and he's just he just looks very studly, and he's and he also has a deeper voice. He's like Arthur, you certainly have grown. He's like, hello, Grandma. <laughs> Arthur's been taking some TRT supplements. <laughs> some of those some of those Mexican supplements, Arthur. <laughs> they finally dropped, and uh, DW is very annoying. She's just jumping up and down. I mean, like, look at me, look at me, look at me. And like, DW, you're annoying grandma. <laughs> and she's like, and then Grandma Thora says to him on the slide, like, give me an aspirin. She's getting me a splitting headache. To which W's like, she didn't say 
that. And Arthur's like, maybe not out loud, but I could tell she was thinking it. <laughs> and then uh, Grandma Thor and Mrs. McGrady actually come back uh, in the actual timeline, and they enlist their help in trying to figure out what happened. Uh, Mom says she remembers what happened when they came over, which literally... It, the door opens, they come in, and Arthur and DW are just acting like monkeys, which is pretty funny. It's like, it's just Arthur, like, swings from uh, the top, like, the top of a door frame, and DW's just cartwheeling, and they're both, like, just screaming nonsense, which which it would be a great voice session to be a fly on the wall on, of just, like, just Scream a bunch of nonsense, kids. It reminded me of this video that's been going around Twitter lately. It's a clip from Keeping Up with the Kardashians. It's okay. like Khloe Kardashian's driving an SUV, and like um, two of the younger kids are in the back of the car, and they're just, again, yelling nonsense. Okay. And Khloe Kardashian kind of rubs her temples and goes, oh, my God. <laughs> you you got to tweet that to me. I have not seen that, but uh, you, maybe not far off. And just like these out-of-control just – feral children and <laughs> mom is overwhelmed and then grandma thor remembers it a bit differently of her coming into the house and dw and arthur being perfect angels just in unison saying we love you <laughs> but then it's from grandma thor's memory that we get the point that they went into the dining room for ice cream so so that's the important detail so like mom went to the freezer for ice cream and she didn't at the time, mom didn't notice that there the snowball was missing from the freezer, that it was – she didn't really pay it any mind. Then DW says, wait a minute, pal was in the kitchen. Uh, and she devises this uh, scenario where a an especially devious pal uh, realizes he wants to steal the snowball, so he pushes a chair up to the fridge. Then he go get he goes to get an umbrella, which has like one of those uh, button releases that make it go, which he uses to – open the freezer in this like really like he kind of wedges it up and then it spring loads and the freezer door opens it's quite ingenious and then pal <laughs> bounds up to the freezer eats the snowball in one bite and then just gets gets a little chilly uh i'll give i'll give dw points for imagination but officer mcnulty she is not she's really reaching here especially because <laughs> she is the proponent of the fact that that pal is dumb <laughs> that's like, true you know what that's a really good point and especially because like she's giving pal a lot of credit i believe at one point somebody mentions the fact that pal couldn't operate an umbrella because yeah, he doesn't uh, have francine any- she says i think the way she puts it she puts it really funny she goes uh, dogs can't open umbrellas but it's and it's just like well yeah because they doesn't have any thumbs and <laughs> And DW is just like, what else does that dog have to do all day? And it's this funny cut of uh, Pal watching a tennis match way up close to the TV, going back and forth. And I noticed that there was a mention of Andre Agassi. <laughs> it was like, Agassi returns 15 love. And I'm like, okay, we've got an Andre Agassi uh, alike here. In, yeah, in 90s. Arthur. Arthur bringing the 90s sports references. We've kind of had a Michael Schumacher. We've had our Andre Agassi. I wonder who else will show up. Un- a, Wayne Dret- a Wayne Gretzky. Is Pele going to make an appearance? Well, who I knows? Know, I know that Michelle Kwan is, shows up in here sooner or later. Uh, Andre Agassi, one of the first pro tennis players I was aware of. Him and Pete Sampras. Oh, my goodness. You're already way over my head with the pro tennis knowledge. That, those were like, I think I asked my dad like who professionally plays tennis when I was young. And he's like, uh, Andre Agassi and Pete Sampras. And I'm Listen, like, okay. I'm only familiar with pro tennis players if they date Drake. And that's where my <laughs> pro tennis knowledge begins and ends. Fair enough. You're Anna Kornikovas and the like. Then we get into the friends' perspectives of what happened because they were also there 
as guests eating ice cream. So the first one is... <laughs> I'm laughing thinking about it. It's really funny. So it's uh, Francine, and she kind of remembers what happened. So she's eating her ice cream, you know, very politely and kind of gets the angel halo as well. Just perfect. And she says, but Buster was a P.I.G. And it like swivels over to Buster and he is just dump trucking ice cream into his mouth. Yeah, I don't know how he didn't get like a ice cream headache. He like it's because it's one of those ones. It's like Chapman's. It's like the box ice cream. So he's just just, I know Chapman's is bad. Oh, no, I was saying, ooh, like I I think the box ice cream. I think of that as like fancy ice uh, cream. Oh, I thought it was boo. Yeah, Chapman's is usually a lot more, even though it is not even really technically ice cream. Uh, And but anyway, Buster is just hoeing into this chocolate ice cream and just dump trucking all of it into his mouth. And then it's just and then he eats it, burps aloud, and is like, no ice cream left. <laughs> and then he goes in, and then he, like, runs to the freezer. And then is just eating frozen food okay. openly. So this is the part of this that I was like, this is the craziest part maybe of this whole episode. And that's saying something considering, like, what kind of things take place in this episode. Right. But Buster takes a bite out of a frozen chicken leg. Yeah, and, he's, and there's, like, peas on the ground, too. So he's, like, eating a whole frozen dinner, basically. That's crazy. That's, like, nuts. Also, like, that can't be good for Buster's teeth. Just, like, biting frozen peas. Yeah, exactly. But, of course, this is Francine's picture of Buster, where it's <laughs> sure. that he's a reckless eating machine. And he finds a snowball, eats it whole, and just, like, Pal kind of shivers when he eats it. <laughs> and then it gets, cuts back, and W's like, you're not writing, Buster. And he's like, because that never happened. <laughs> and then, but to which Buster's side of the events is a, just as fanciful in some ways. So Buster's telling a joke at the dinner table. It's just like, and the other snake says, you can't love me. I'm your other end. And people are dying. Yeah, it's killing. They are dying. And uh, to which point... I kind of see where the joke is. Like, I get it. Like, a snake kind of looks the same from both sides. Sure. But what could the setup have been? Like... I, I, One snake was talking to another snake? Is that literally the setup? Like, two snakes <laughs> walk into a bar that the other snake says... Don't look at me. Oh, man. I, I really don't know. What a great joke. And then uh, it's so good that Mrs. <laughs> Mrs. McGrady says, remind me to tell Mr. Haney to push you ahead a grade, Buster. <laughs> and I'm like, it's 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 like when uh, it's like in The Simpsons when Bart forges all A's and just like a D turns into a B so easily. You just got greedy. <laughs> and it's just like, Buster, you just got greedy. I almost believed it. And then Francine is extra rude in Buster's memory as if in retaliation for her image of Buster like she's drinking her soda and then she like spits it out and she's like hey Mrs. Reed you gave me warm soda thanks a lot and then (laughs) Mrs. Reed should just be thankful she didn't give her cherry soda who knows what would have happened that's true it was orange like a normal person and then she and Francine goes to the freezer to get more ice and then she finds the snowball and (laughs) like cools it off with it and so at this point everybody is kind of accusing everybody and then DW makes the ultimate accusation that Arthur, Buster, and Francine destroyed the snowball themselves while she was playing piano for Grandma. So DW, we don't, I don't know if we ever really see her playing piano again. Well, I think it was last episode, me and you were having the conversation that everybody knows how to play heart and soul on the piano. <laughs> so maybe Chopsticks isn't that far off. Maybe. Maybe it could be. Uh, maybe she could have learned it from Arthur, even. Uh, and then in this one, they are just straight up cartoon villains of their just hiding behind the couch of just like... <laughs> They're very wet bandits. They're just like, <laughs> let's see how long it takes DW Snowball to melt in the sun. And so in this which, one... Which isn't the most entertaining way I can 
can think of spending an afternoon, I'll be honest. Like, But they get a lot of laughs out of it. They do, but it's like far more malicious than it is funny. Like... I, They're very like intense about it. Like, oh, let's melt the snowball. Let's watch grass grow. Let's watch paint dry. Well, yeah, it's this. The entertainment seems to be that they're hurting her, mm. and they like melt the snowball with a magnifying glass, and they come back, and Francine says, "We weren't there when Arthur did it." <laughs> And to which Arthur is vehemently defending that he didn't do it. And a great read here from DW of just like, somebody did it. I want a confession. Confess. Confess. During that whole sequence, like, like the she's best. Ki- like she's Kyra Sedgwick in The Closer. <laughs> Confess. Dur- dur- during that uh, whole sequence, the best line is like, Arthur, they're all like super mustache twirling. Like yeah. you, were, you hit the nail on the head when you said cartoony. Silent movie villains. Uh, Arthur goes, melt in the sun. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, and then Buster f- seems to have figured it out based on the eyewitness accounts. To which he says, while we were busy, a space alien materialized. So a space alien, as he says, in scientific search for samples of human food. Uh, so it's just this space alien. It's kind of like just a green blob with like tentacles. and it's like got an, an exposed bit, brain. Exposed like, brain. Like uh, Kang and Kodos a little bit. I was thinking Brainiac or even... The DreamWorks Pictures classic, Megamind. Megamind. Uh, <laughs> you rolled your eyes <laughs> when I said that. Uh, and so the alien kind of steals the snowball from the freezer, and then it's apparently the middle of the night because Dad wakes up and sees the freezer door open as the alien disappears. We get a great, like, almost if he's a Splinter Cell NPC, he goes, huh? Yeah, huh? just, uh, huh? Huh? Uh, what was that noise? <laughs> Who turned out the lights? <laughs> What the hell? That was, that was Splinter Cell. They go, who took that at the lights? They say that. I haven't played Splinter Cell in a long time. I love. I used to love those games, though. I don't remember that. Huh? I'm pulling you out, Fisher. Okay. Jesus Christ, Fisher. The <laughs> mission's over. <laughs> uh, anyway, they come back, and obviously nobody believes that. And at this point, Mom is like, whoever did it should just admit it. It's like, it's not nice to do this to a little girl. And DW, another great line of just, I think you're all in on it. You're trying to break a child's heart. <laughs> it's a conspiracy. And then suddenly everybody is stopped because it's the first snow of the year outside. So that means that there's a lot of winter fun ahead. And DW not as into it because it'll never be the same. And then we get a nice little coda to the whole thing of Arthur being like, DW will have just as much fun as last year, maybe more. And they get kind of hug each other. And it's it's nice. It's it's a very nice thing. But then, she, but then of course, it's like, I just wonder what happened to my snowball. And then we get the Silent Hill Aliens ending. If you've ever done one of those in any of any Silent Hill game, pick one of just like, oh, the aliens did it or the dog did it. Uh, and it's just literally aliens in a flying saucer. The, different than the ones that Buster imagined. They're like kind of three pronged eyes with like long snouts kind of thing. And just being like studying the snowball and with their weird voices of just like, so this is what they eat. Mm-hmm. We'll have to get the recipe. And that's that's the end of the episode. That's it's the most magical realism Arthur has gotten so far. We've kind of uh, we're, we're past realism at this point. Uh, well, we've we've kind of played with it before. I remember the beach episode. I said, uh, wouldn't it be fun if like the giant octopus DW was worried about the whole time kind of showed up in the background at the end sure. almost to the point where I expected it yeah uh, this is really the equivalent of that it's the oh Buster was right all along it was aliens yeah which of 
which will come back into play later on. But yeah, there you go. That's the end of that uh, of that half of the episode. And now a word from us kids. Did you watch this one? I did. I I really enjoyed this word from us kids. You know, sometimes word from us kids is it's kind of cute, but it's kind of take it or leave it. Yeah. The only one that's really stood out to me so far is the ice skating one. Mm-hmm. But this one's a great concept, uh, pl- and it really matches well with the episode. We get alternative endings yeah. from these kids as if they were living DVD extras. Uh, they get to say how they thought. The uh, thing wrapped up. Speaking of David Mamet, they get to make their own one scene plays. Exactly. Of how, of how they believe it really ended. And we get uh, some interesting takes on it with characters like the leprechaun, the elf, and ice cream topping. So there's, you know, it's everything from like a uh, leprechaun and an elf stole it to uh, Arthur's dad accidentally ate it when he was looking for like ice cream or some such. And, you know, it's just kind of fun uh, little project to have to do with the episode. You know how they say there are no small parts, only small actors? Mm-hmm. Well, I'm afraid that some of these kids were shortchanged with small parts. Ooh, like, oh, some kids he. played the freezer door. Some kids played the <laughs> yeah. table. like The toppings. Y- y- you must really be, like, a child acting whiz to be able to uh, have the, the glory of getting to play DW when other kids are... Like, there was one play where... I think you, three of the four actors were playing inanimate objects. I think you. I, th- I think you can tell which one of them is the director. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, anyway, pretty cute, and uh, yeah, like you said, it's a fun little couple alternate endings that also steer hard into the magical side of magical realism. We move into the second episode. It is Team Trouble. So we've got. Uh, Arthur talking about his best friends Buster and Francine. So we actually finally get the origins of how Arthur and Buster meet. And it's uh, a little disappointing. (laughs) I think it's a great gag, right? Because Arthur sets it up and he's like, I'll never forget the day. He he literally says it was the most unforgettable moment of my life. (laughs) To which it's little baby Arthur playing in the sandbox and then Buster comes up. He's just like, hi, my name's Buster. My name's Arthur. Hi. And then well, see ya. Buster walks away, which I think is, I thought like it was He literally a, says, well, see ya. I think it's a great joke, though, because back when you're that age, that's really all it takes to become friends. <laughs> yeah. I, my best friend of seven years, now eight years, <laughs> I became friends with because one day I bought, uh, I brought a Disney Adventures magazine to uh, elementary Dis- school. Disney Adventures. I love Disney Adventures. Which one? What was? It? Do you remember the cover? I don't remember the cover, but I remember the reason we became friends to this day is because there was a quiz uh, to promote the game. Sonic Heroes for the GameCube Ah. and the quiz was what Sonic Heroes team are you and I was showing it to everybody who would listen nobody cared except for this one friend who and I quote I'll never forget this he goes you like Sonic I love Sonic and so then our friendship has uh, never never been quelled since well one of my longest friendships that I've ever had in my life two of them actually has been based off the fact that I heard them quoting Star Fox 64 in math class there you go I literally was like you like Star Fox I like Star Fox and we're still friends you heard one of your your friends calling the other one a cocky Cocky little little freak. freak yeah Step on the gas. Hey, wise guy, you're on, I'm on, oh, damn it, I messed it up. (laughs) Hey, wise guy, I'm on your side. Fox, get this guy off me. (laughs) Get the one behind me. (laughs) Use bombs wisely. 
Husky unit, cover the base. <laughs> you're Fox, just, that's one of ours. You're just like your father, Fo- Star Fox. That's When did Morgan Freeman yeah. go into Star Fox 64? Your father helped me like that, too. Yeah, yeah, that's the, that's the one. That's it's, all, it's, I get all the voices mixed up. It's all good. Uh, uh, fun, ga- fun game. <laughs> Andros's enemy is my enemy. Andros has ordered us to take you down. <laughs> Peppy, long time no see. If you had an older friend back then, maybe they would do the the old Star Fox voices where it's like, Good luck. Good luck. Good luck. This is Rob 64. Keep up the good work. God, we should just do a podcast where we do the whole podcast in Star Fox voice. Actually, actually, one time on like open radio, I did a StarCraft quote competition with a friend of mine. <laughs> it was just like we had to go back and forth until no, we until one of us couldn't think of another quote. Oh, that'd be fun. Yeah, it was fun. Uh, there's a there's a couple of games like that where I just remember all the dialogue because that just happened early enough that it embedded in my brain. StarCraft and Star Fox 64 being two of them. Anyway, yes, love Star Fox 64. <laughs> Let's not uh, forget our famous Sinistar competitions. I am Sinistar. Ah, ah, ah. And then, like, when he just screams. Those are basically the, t- the two quotes from Sinistar are, I am Sinistar, and then him screaming. No, there's a few more. Run, run, oh, run. Oh, I, I forgot about, how could I forget? Coward. How could I forget run, run, Beware, run. coward, I live. <laughs> That's great. Anyway, back to team <laughs> trouble. Uh, and then, so Arthur meeting Buster, unforgettable, quote unquote. And then he says, and being on Francine's team is the best. Now, this clip I, I wrote down here, I really wish we would have saved that clip of Francine and little Arthur. So do you remember that one from an earlier episode where Francine, like they meet each other for the first time and Francine has that big lolly and she smacks it on his head? Oh, yeah. That would have been perfect to use here because this clip almost doesn't make sense because, (laughs) uh, you know, he says being on Francine's team is the best because when you play with Francine, you never lose. And it's like Francine throwing the football to Arthur and he like accidentally makes a touchdown because it like hit him in the stomach or something. Except like. Two or three episodes ago was literally about Arthur being on Francine's team and losing. That's true. Uh, that, that's a really good point, actually. But I think the point was this was supposed to be like a positive aspect of Francine. Sure. And getting smacked in the face with a big old lolly is not exactly positive. At least I wouldn't consider it to be. Well. Depends on what you're into. Whatever. <laughs> and the whole thing is based around them like playing a board game in the treehouse. And then Francine just goes, Arthur, you lose. It's like a very abrupt <laughs> cut to the actual episode. Uh, to which they are learning about various uh, old structures in the classroom. So, like, uh, Ratburn has a slideshow, like an old, like an actual slide show. Not not, not your PowerPoint slideshow. Uh, and he's, like, showing The, the overhead projector, uh, I believe, is the technical term. No, it wasn't overhead. It was, like, on the on the old AV unit. Ooh. So we're, like, a step away from the uh, projector with the, uh, the magnifying thing that you mm-hmm. would do math problems from. Uh so they're learning about stuff like the Great Wall of China, to which Buster says, you know, that's even older than the cafeteria hot dogs. Yeah, Buster and Arthur are sort of doing their inner Tom Zer- Servo yeah. and, and whatever the other one's name is. <laughs> uh, just, yeah, basically them them 
MST3K and Ratburn, as you said. It's like Ratburns are Mitchell. <laughs> Mitchell. You, you better run or he'll steal your lunch. You'd better hide your lunch. This episode's so topical, I expected our, uh, Buster to be like, The Great Wall of China. That's that movie where Mark Wahlberg saves everybody. <laughs> yeah, speaking of topical, that's out this week. I'm not very excited for the Great Wall <laughs> I'm of not China. Gonna, I'm not gonna Especially see it. considering all the smash hits that are in theaters right now. Shouts out to Lego Batman and John Wick 2. There's your double feature for Valentine's Day. Fifty Shades of What? Never yeah. mind. Yeah, I haven't gotten to the movies yet, so I mean, I'd still have to see John Wick. And La La Land has finally made its way over here, so I got to see that too. Highly recommend it. I know it's a boring white person. <laughs> like, if you were to look at me. Hey, I, so am I. I. If you were to look at me on the street, take a for me, I look like the kind of guy that'd be like, oh my god, La La Land's so good. And you know what? Sometimes stereotypes are stereotypes because they're true. It's it's a movie's a, it's a movie about the joy of cinema. And the joy it's the magic magic of filmmaking. It's jazz. You like it's jazz? An, it's an ode to old Hollywood. It's an ode to old Hollywood and, and the jazz of yesteryear. Yeah. Yeah. You should see La La Land, it's fun. Yeah, no, I totally will. Um I liked how this was blatant educational content because they're learning about the Great Wall of China and like the Affian Highway and and just like all of these structures throughout history. I'm like, ah, way to really just burn in those educational facts, PBS. Uh, so they get put in a group together to do a report on different civilizations throughout history and they get Rome. So it's Arthur Buster and Francine. I thought this was interesting to compare with an episode like Perfect Brother. The Perfect Brother was about living with your friends. This one is about working with them, which can also be a little bit of a uh, of a tough sell sometimes. Well, I also noticed this is the third episode in a row where we've had sort of a theme combining the two episodes. Right. So we've already had uh, going on a vacation. We've had uh, you know grandma. There's been a couple themes in a row. This one is like. Uh, the character is giving different perspectives on the same sort of events. Oh, yeah. So, and I, I just, I just I realized that, that now. Yeah. Um, That's a the good first point. episode was about, uh, you know, different theories about what happened at the snowball. This episode's about different takes on the history of Rome, I guess. Yeah. And so they're brainstorming ideas on how to present their report because it's got to be something that they present and also have like a physical thing for. So Buster's first suggestion is that they write a song, Ancient Rome. It's not like home. Coliseum. You know what, though? It's like, of all the songs I expected Buster to write about ancient Rome, I didn't expect blues to be the genre he chose. Yeah, yeah like, be- because all you would need in between there would be, like, ancient Rome. Yeah, that it, like that's the format that song fits. Like, yeah. I half expected it would be, like, Coliseum, and my, my girlfriend left me. <laughs> yeah. Julius Caesar got stabbed in the back. Yeah, it's it. I, I dig it. I, I'm I'm all in on Buster's. I think you know what? Considering with with the benefit of foresight, considering how this project turned out, at least in its uh, uh sort of their first draft, maybe they should have went with Buster's song. Maybe. I don't know. At least at least he he had the stones to offer it up. Uh, then he also suggests like they they are passing by like a kids ballet class, and he says we could do an interpretive dance. And Francine just says with those feet, 
And that's the end of it. Yeah, everybody's kind of poo-pooing Buster's ideas at first. He's the only one coming up with stuff. It's true. Francine comes up with an idea that they could make a video. And uh, Arthur, to which Arthur's like, how are we going to make it look ancient? And this is actually a very like good, quick line from Buster. He just says, I have a really old coat. <laughs> and, <laughs> and then finally they settle on making comic books. Uh, because Buster is getting a book from the library on how to write and draw comic books. And then they figure that that will be the best way to present it both visually and narratively, which reminded me of one of the best things of elementary school was making comic books for homework. Well, so this episode, again, it's not as legendary. Uh, it's not going to be entered into the Arthur Hall of Fame like the Snowball episode is. But I, this episode was super inspirational to me as a kid because I feel like – uh, I, I to this day I'm not a very good artist, but I think I tried my hand at making comic books a lot more because of this very episode. Right. So they decide that they are going to make a comic book. They're each going to make uh, a page. Page one, page two, and page three will go to someone else. Uh, and they they get in their heads that this is going to be amazing, that this is absolutely going to work. And it seems that they have got the research part totally down because they didn't borrow a single book, and they are just going to go ahead full bore. And uh, and just do it. Yeah, I don't do what's know. In, do what's in their heart. I don't know what they know less about the actual history of Rome or comic book production. Yeah, because both are kind of non-starters at this yeah. point. Yeah, one one requires fact, and the other is very much an art. So neither one can be done lightly. Uh, so we get shots of each of them kind of doing their thing. Uh, Buster's having a bit of trouble uh, doing his in pencil. Francine is like watercoloring hers, and she's like really getting inspiration from the ether. And Arthur's not is having trouble starting. He's just in his in his bed trying to figure out what to do first. He kind of smashes his head, or he doesn't smash it, but he like puts his head back against the pillow, and it rocks like the the drawer the shelves above him, and a uh, alarm clock falls on his head, and he gets a concussion and uh, hallucinates. And so it's like him falling through like a your stereotypical vortex into ancient Rome. Yeah, pick your reference here. It's either Michael Creighton's Timeline or uh, Black Knight starring Martin uh, – oh, God. Martin Short. Yeah. No. No, oh no, my no, God. no, 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 no. I, I had to prevent myself from saying another Martin as oh, well. Oh, gosh. Oh, this is going to kill – Martin Lawrence. Martin Lawrence. Sorry. Black Knight, the, the classic. Martin Short, what, what am I saying? Hey, you know what, though? I'd watch a movie where Martin Short goes back in time to middle ages. Tell me you wouldn't watch that. That sounds awesome. I wouldn't watch that. Oh, Martin. So um, – Arthur, again, hallucinates that he's in Rome and he finds himself upon a uh, very helpful guide. Uh, who pa- He passes a sign that says speed limit 20, <laughs> which I have a couple questions with. I'm guessing the chariot speed limit and it probably didn't go very fast. <laughs> I was just watching Back to the Future Part 3, Doc Brown trying to get that... Uh, uh, trying to get that DeLorean up to 88 miles per hour, and it's like four horses can only take it about 35. I guess Back to the Future would have been a good reference as opposed to Michael Creighton's Timeline, which is a very good book, by the way. It's, it's Terrible a, movie. It's all right. I understood where I understood where you're going with that. Hey, and it's it's a book reference, so very good for uh, Arthur. Uh, and he, uh, the guide has a great line here of just like, Arthur's like, can you tell me where I am? He's like, hey, what do you mean? You in a Rome, boss? Yeah. I listen. It's I like, don't want to make any assumptions, but as someone who has Italian heritage, I have a sneaking suspicion 
that this voice actor might not have actually been an Italian person. Could be. I don't know, <laughs> but I just have a, a, a tiny feeling that that might be the case. Reminds me a bit of uh, Assassin's Creed 2. Salute, Serezio. Shall we take a look at the list? <laughs> it, you know what? It wasn't quite that, like, it wasn't quite like, Mamma mia, that's a spicy meatball. But it was it was kind of getting into spicy meatball, Captain Lou Albano, Mario Super Show territory. Yeah, it wasn't quite your it wasn't quite your Super Mario, but it was uh, not quite your Ezio Auditore. That's a pizza pie. Yeah. Well, he was. I don't. I don't think he was that bad. But then again, I get, you, Yeah, that's what are, I'm saying. It's not that bad, but it was kind of it was kind of dipping the toes. In the pizza pie pool. It's it's will. very very much using the shorthand of just adding a to a bunch of words like <laughs> yeah. you in a Rome. I did like that he called him boss though. I thought yeah, that, that was, was funny. The, or like, he's just like I can assure you everything. Oh man, <laughs> so you're, like, you're you're, doing, you're the Italian among us. To, so. to give the the listeners perspective, you're doing pretty much just about as good a job as the actual voice actor. Oh yeah, did. that's that's about all it is. And uh, <laughs> uh, so Arthur. Like he asks for denarii, and Arthur has Roman money, so he pays him for a tour, takes him into the Senate, or as he said, right behind this door is the Senate. Oh, is, a, is a the Senate. You know what? I'm turning a corner. I do think it was like, oh, the pizza pie. I think, I think it's the high point of Italian stereotypes. So, <laughs> oh, you know, I, it's, it's, not, it's not good, but it's also like the top of bad. Like, it, you could definitely be a lot worse. Ma, hand uh, me the big knife. Hey, bippity boppity. Oh, jeez. All right. The quicker we move on, the better. <laughs> Certainly. And then Arthur is about to go into the Senate and then sustains further head trauma when an earthquake hits and a statue head clonks him back to reality. Those Mediterranean fault lines. <laughs> uh, but then, of course, Arthur is inspired by uh, by that whole encounter. Yeah, his time-traveling escapade. And so the next day at school, they all meet up and they exchange each other's uh, comics pages. So Francine reads Arthur's first, which is supposed to be page one. Uh, Arthur's is kind of a straightforward adventure. The art style reminded me a lot of sticking around. Uh, that's a really good reference uh, because, of course, it uh, it is kind of made out of stick figures slash like very not not quite stick figures, but that more simplistic drawing style that is easier to animate. Uh, it's purposely the, the aesthetic is purposely mid- trying to look like a little kid. Yeah, really. very much so. And so uh, it's like a straightforward adventure where Arthur, Francine, and Buster are Roman senators, and they have to get the scroll of Roman law back to the emperor. Sticking and- around is a great point of reference. The one it reminded me of is you ever watch Teen Girl Squad? Yes, the uh, Homestar Runner subseries. Uh, Cheerleader, so and so, what's her face? The ugly one, Arrowed. Yeah, like that's a corn really- chip. Corn chips are no place for a mighty warrior. Yeah, lathed. Uh, the the whole thing is like it's like a comic that Strong Bad drew, so it all looks like it was drawn on loose leaf and it, by someone who didn't have a lot of drawing experience. Yeah. And so I found this aesthetic although, really similar. Although in its own way, it, both of these, like both that and Teen Girl Squad, are like surprisingly quite good for that minimalistic art style. Well, I was going to say you mentioned like quote-unquote easier to animate and i bet actually it was yeah maybe it isn't uh i bet like it's the trick where they're tricking you into thinking that like i bet it's 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 they do such a good job of making it look like a kid drew it that it Mm. almost looks effortless yeah but i bet it's interesting how would i one of the things i love about this episode not to play my hand too early is how different the art styles and aesthetics are for each of the kids stories just to show that like different people drew each one of these not to go along with how different people came up with the story different people drew it as well you're right actually and that is that's my note for francine's page 
page two. We'll get to that in a second. Uh, so they're looking everywhere, and then Binky is the uh, is the antagonist of this one, where he's stolen the scroll of Roman law and he's gaining away, and then he sicks his skeletons after them. Uh, and Arthur defeats the skeletons with his bag of gumballs. So he makes them trip, and then they kind of do pratfalls and whatnot. And they get chased away by wolves. Uh, okay, you kind of feel bad. I remember even as a kid feeling kind of weird about this sequence because uh, I feel real bad for the skeletons. Yeah, they, they, yeah, they kind of they seem really pathetic. In but a way, but in, they a way, all, in a way that kind of makes you feel pity for them. Well, I, they seem so scared of the wolves. One of yeah. them loses his head, and they're like, "Oh no!" Like I just feel it's kind of sad. I yeah, I, you know what? I felt the same thing when I was a kid too. Like I think they did too good a job at making them, you know, not very good. Uh, and then they chase after Binky in a boat, and then a they get waylaid by a cyclops, and so they're menaced by, I think it was a cyclops, uh, or just a giant monster, and then like the page one ends with Buster being like, there's no escape, which I will add the only one of the three to have a Roman accent is Buster with a couple of, with, you can barely hear, but he's just like, Oh wait for me, you know, yeah. doing the same thing. And then it's just the page ends with there's no escape. Yeah. The no escape almost has like no hyphen a H escape, no <laughs> escape, no escape. Uh, then Arthur reads Francine's second page, which is wildly different. Be- well, Francine, before that, Francine points out, she's like, that's how it ends? Yeah. And Arthur's like, well, you were supposed to make the second page, which, like, come on, guys. I get that it's like a gag for the episode that yeah. they all made completely different stories because they had literally no communication. Yeah. So they all made the first page of uh, different stories. But, like, come on. Like, how how could he have possibly expected her to continue his narrative? I d- uh, <laughs> it's just kind of crazy. Little, little kid oversight is what I'll blame that on. So Francine's page is just her beating Arthur and Buster <laughs> at the Olympics. The first Olympics. Yeah. So and and as you said, different art style here. So in Arthur's drawing, Francine is kind of drawn, you know, fairly like uh, they're all kind of boxes. Norm, normal. Yeah. And, and in this and one, legs. Francine has a more pronounced kind of snout. Almost like Arthur. So she's drawn herself quite differently. Arthur and Buster look similar enough, but she looks quite different. And I thought that that was actually a really nice touch of how she sees herself compared to how Arthur sees her. My favorite part about this is as she's beating her, them in all the first Olympic games, uh, there's a part at the end where she's – I think it's like Greco-Roman wrestling is what it's supposed to yeah, yeah. be. Uh, but she's just giving them gorilla press slams, <laughs> yeah. which is really funny. Just, and like Just military pressing them over and then just throwing them like Goldberg. And they don't seem to be willing participants either. Like Buster's kind of like, oh, no, oh, no. Yeah, no, and Arthur's just like, I quit. I give up, <laughs> uncle, and slams them down. And then at the end, she gets all the gold medals and – Cuts to Arthur and Buster literally crying. And so it's just her humiliating them. And finally, Buster's is even more wildly different because he decided to do it in a manner called a splash panel. And (laughs) we can tell which one of the kids was reading the most Rob Liefeld comics at the time. (laughs) Because right smack dab in the middle of his splash panel is Spartacus. Now, I wrote that I made sure to write down Buster's explanation of what was going on, because if you thought that Romans at the Grecian Olympics is one thing or Cyclopses or Cyclopses. Yeah, yeah, or talking skeletons even. This is something, this is another level of ignorance from Buster. Uh, Buster with those fake, with those fake news, those alternative facts, once again. So it's, he says, he points to 
his main central character, which, as you said, looks like a Rob Liefeld uh, <laughs> drawing from Image or uh, whatever, Young Blood or whatever the heck. And so he points to Spartacus. He's defending the pizza from being taken by attacking soldiers who are hidden in the horse who want to take over the pyramids. And he's pointing to like, so there's pizza here. Um Soldiers hidden in the horse is the Trojan horse, which is myth, and uh, they want to take over the pyramids, which is now we're way off the rails. And then finally he tops it off with, and that's Julius Caesar on a glider. There were no jet engines then. Maybe uh, our, uh, Buster just watched, what's that movie, 20,000 B.C., 10,000 B.C.? Sure, yeah, 10,000 B.C. Where the mammoths are on the pyramids really? at the end oh, of that movie. Have you not seen that movie? No, that, dude, why would I see that movie? I, I, I don't remember what context I saw that movie in, but I definitely remember at the end of that movie, hella CGI mammoths on a CGI pyramid and me, like, hands on my temple just... <laughs> Oh my God! We're doing a, doing a real troll too. <laughs> so this project, as you noted, it was kind of doomed from the start because they weren't even working together. Like I don't know what they expected, but they made a they made a huge blue style mistake, and their projects are due tomorrow. And then they're just like. Uh, it's like, you need to make yours like mine. I like this. It's just like, Arthur's just like, you need to make yours like mine. Mine's the first page. Cut back to Francine and Buster. Buster is holding his nose, like, as in like, that stinks. <laughs> uh so then Buster gets the idea. He says, maybe we should ask other people which is best. Then you can all make yours like mine. <laughs> so You they, know what, though? It's a solid idea. Uh Yeah. So they go around to other people to kind of ask which is better? I Francine asks Brain, which she th- the she's like, I know you're going to say it's great. I just need to know how great. Which Brain says, you know, the critical flaw in Francine's is that the Olympics were in Greece, not Rome. Which I hate to admit this because I do enjoy history, and this is so embarrassing. But maybe it was because I was just kind of half paying attention. Sure, I was like. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, I was like, oh, because at first I was like, oh, I guess what's not factual about Francine's is that she's in it and she's beating everyone. And then I was like, oh, yeah, that, that's a Greek thing. Right. And I can't pretend like I did the same thing of like, oh, OK. <laughs> and then, you know, Francine says, I'll change it to Roman athletes, the Greek Olympics, to which Brain's like, it wouldn't happen because this that didn't happen until, you know, this date later on in history. And like, didn't you do any research? So uh, they all kind of meet up back at the treehouse, and you know, at this point, they realize they are critically under researched. They do not know what they're talking about. <laughs> Buster with another great line of Binky really liked my page, so I guess I have to start over, <laughs> <laughs> which is too, which is kind of too bad. Uh, so then they get it in their head that they're totally going to fail this one, like they're absolutely going to bomb. But then they kind of come back from the brink a little bit by, you know, kind of uh, affirming the things that they like in everybody else's. Uh, you know, like Buster likes Francine's art style. Uh, Francine likes Arthur's and Buster's in their own way. Like kind of their art style is what they appreciate from everybody else. They, or like they, their, they, story, their storytelling uh, skeleton. They really dig Buster's rendition of Julius Caesar on a hand glider. Yeah. And uh, I remember I drew that after seeing that episode <laughs> once. He, he, his picture of Julius Caesar, does he – am I misremembering this? Or is he like – does he have like a yellow crown on – 
and like it's either a yellow crown or like a yellow star on his blue tunic. Yeah, he's got like a yellow star. Again, he's kind of dressed like Homestar Runner. <laughs> uh, I don't think or he has or, arms or either. The, or in this case, like Homsar. Yeah, he's dressed like Homsar, and I don't think he has arms as well. He's just got a hang no, glider and two. No, feet. he's got the two sticks, and he's like holding it in the way that stick figures have to. But had Buster not told me that was Julius Caesar, I would have no idea. Of course you wouldn't. If you if he had said something, you wouldn't have known that was Spartacus. <laughs> it's like he's like. He's like red. He's got a baseball cap. He looks like a superhero. So they decide to do an all-nighter. They go to the library, get all the critical text that they need, and uh, they pull an all-nighter at Arthur's place to make a poster, which uh, kind of puts together their researching and their artistic talents. That, that's a good point uh, that I didn't initially realize. There's sort of two lessons in this episode. It's one, communication. You need to work together as a team on a project. And two, they also just can't make stuff up. Yeah, when it comes to history, <laughs> no, it's true. It is. It is a very. Uh, it um, really emphasizes the importance of research, which is actually really good. Like kids need to know that research is important. You can't just say stuff that sounds real but isn't. Um, and finally, they present it. They get a you know, presumably a good mark. They get like you know applause from everybody. Um, and then as the episode ends. And Binky, Suell, and Muffy are doing their report on Egypt as an interpretive dance. So the, the interpretive dance kind of comes back, and they're just talking about mummification. And well, I'll, I'll say this, though. As much as the interpretive dance was poo-pooed by Arthur and Francine, yeah. Binky's projects, it's informative and entertaining. Yeah. They, like, they're given all these actual facts about mummification, and it's like, oh, this is fun. Absolutely. But, of course, the episode ends with them disagreeing once again because uh, one wants to go to the Sugar Bowl, one wants to go to the park, the other wants to go to the movies, and they're just like, no, we agreed to this. No, we agreed to this. So just like, well, they may be, they may be very good friends, but that doesn't mean that they always agree on everything. And then uh, the uh, the mummification presentation goes awry, and Binky is kind of wrapped up and can't move. I'm with Francine on this one. You got to go see the movies. John Wick two in theaters now. Lego Batman in say, theaters now. I was gonna say yeah, go to the movies. That would ab- that would absolutely be my choice of the three. Okay, so there's our episodes. Let's go back to uh, DW's Snowball. Uh, what'd you think? Well, I'll tell. I thought one thing is I feel like that it felt like the shortest episode we've watched so far. Yeah, there wasn't a whole lot to it. But in that sense, I think it works to its strength. Like that episode, I find moves at a really brisk pace, and I really enjoyed the format of it. I thought it was super creative, and I I kind of liked that it felt like a stage play or a David Mamet movie. Uh, maybe I'm just looking at it with rose-colored glasses because, you know, I sort of hold that whole concept of the snowball in such high esteem. Mm-hmm. This could be nostalgia clouding my judgment, but I really enjoyed the episode, and I thought, I guess it didn't really have a moral. Like, the episode just kind of ends with, oh, I mean, winter still comes, so we could just move on. But I thought it was fun. I thought it was just a fun little episode. Mm-hmm. I think this episode is important, especially to the canon of Arthur, because the snowball incident is called back upon many, many times. Like, they will revisit this, like, in passing reference and in not-so-passing reference. Like, it's important to the episode. So if, like, if you were making an, like, essential Arthur viewing list of season one, this would absolutely be on there. And the good the good thing is, is that it is, like, it is, like you said, it is, it's a fun episode. I really love the trope of different um, perspectives on the same event. Like, right now, like one, I remember a movie that I saw 
I've seen only once. I have the DVD for, and I'm and I'm trying to watch it again soon. Uh, a movie I saw once, and then after I saw it, I was like, "That's one of the greatest movies I've ever seen." Is a uh, hero uh, with uh, I, I believe it's uh, Jet Li. Jet Li, yeah. And that and that uh, that plot has the same thing of like it's three different takes on the same occurrence, and it's. It's an amazing movie, as I remember it. Uh, I'll have to reconfirm that. But like you said, Rashomon. Uh, there's other movies that employ Run, Lola, that. Run. Run, Lola, Run. Uh, Even Pulp Fiction. Sure. And uh, I really like that trope. I think they made very good use out of it. It was it was fun. Uh, you know, it wasn't super consequential or anything, which, you know, it's at some point you're just like, yeah, you can take it or leave it. But uh, yeah, no, I thought it was a nice, fun one and very important to the overall canon of episodes. Now that you mentioned that, though, I think it is maybe the reason I hold it in such high regard. It's kind of like when this is, again, another wrestling reference. But when the WWE takes like a moment from its past and it sort of makes it into a bigger deal than it was at the time because they show it so often, like, you know, Stone Cold's beer truck. I'm sure at the time it was just another wacky thing on an episode of Raw. Yeah, that was just but, that was just another main event segment of a really hot period of wrestling. But because we see the clip so often, it's sort of made into something bigger than it yeah, was. Yeah, that's been like number one. I think that was like number one on their like top fifty OMG moments or something. So like, but you know what? I think this is the exact same case where because the snowball is something that gets referenced so much in the Arthur Arthur continuity, uh, maybe. That's why I think it stands out in my head more. Sure. No, that's 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 a very good point. Uh, and then Team Trouble. Now, this was one that when we watched it last week, uh, you know, I was kind of like, oh, that's a, that's a pretty good episode. But in reviewing it, I actually find it's a little bit stronger than I uh, than I may have initially given it credit for. And it's because like the messages were so underlying that I didn't really catch them. At the time, like I noticed of like this is the whole thing of like you can be friends, but it still takes a lot of work to collaborate on something. But then you made the point of how, you know, research in a school project is is critical and it's what kind of one of their biggest uh, shortcomings in that whole thing. I think that that's really important to emphasize because the end of the episode, you know, with the montage is them going to the library, getting the research and doing the work, which is very, very important. And I think it's something very good to teach. Uh, I also thought that it had some really good lines. Uh, I think it fleshed out their friendship a lot more, which I think uh, uh, is always a good thing between the kind of main three characters here. And uh, yeah, no, I think it was really enjoyable and had something to say. And I really appreciated it on pretty much all fronts. I also I, I, I totally agree with you that like going back and talking about it now, I totally have more of an affinity for this episode than after I first watched it. Mm-hmm. Um, for one, I'm a sucker for when they play with the format, when it's not just A plot and B plot. Yeah. Uh, that's why I like the Snowball episode so much, and that's why I like this episode. I like the little seeing what the kids came up with. It's really imaginative, and I think it gives the writers a chance to play around, much like Buster's fanciful scenarios do. Right. Um, and I, I I like what they did with the art style. You know, some, if they wanted to be lazier, they could have just animated it like they did Arthur's dream sequence. Yeah, it could have been a a flashback. Uh, But they did something really creative with it. And as a sucker for a teen girl squad, I really appreciated that. 
Um, I also liked, um, you're right, the morals of this episode are good, and it's good that they're twofold, you know, work together as a team, do research. But I also like how the kids come to those conclusions by themselves. Right. They sort of realize the error of their ways when given criticism, and they come together to uh, help each other out and make their project better, which is always a best – that's always the best ending – I like it so much more when the kids come to their own conclusions rather than someone else tells them, hey, this is what you should do. Yeah. So I really appreciate that as well. As a whole, these are two great episodes, I think. I think they both show the best Arthur has to author. Uh, excuse me. They both show the best Arthur has to offer with uh, episode one having a lot of great humor, having a lot some good non sequiturs uh, and creativity, and episode two having some good morals and just being all around fun. Yeah, I think it's an overall very solid episode of Arthur. I'd recommend it. And uh, I might say I might say I think I like Team Trouble uh, more, but either way, you can't really go wrong. So there you go. Uh, of course, we have many ways that you can get in touch with us. Thank you for listening to this episode of Elwood City Limits, and we want to thank everybody who has uh, been uh, active on our social media. We got another five star review on our Facebook. We want to thank uh, everybody who's done that so far. Uh, that really means a lot. Facebook.com slash Elwood City Limits. It makes us feel like we're doing a good job. Uh, we, Of course, we've been a little bit lax, I should say, on those fronts just because uh, since we ha- didn't do an episode last week, we hadn't had any screen caps to post. But we will be getting those back once again. So Facebook.com slash Elwood City Limits. You can follow us on Twitter at ECL Podcast. Thank you to everybody who's reached out to us there so far. Uh, Tumblr, ElwoodCityLimits.tumblr.com. And those are all also ways where you can find the episode, but you can also go to soundcloud.com slash Elwood City Limits, or you can find us on iTunes. Subscribe over there and uh, give us a rate and review if you please. And finally, if you would like to send us in an email like our pal Gareth did today, Gareth, thanks again for the email, sending it to ElwoodCityLimits at gmail.com. Coming up next week... At least so we hope in case the snow doesn't bury us once again. We will. It seems that we are going to be tackling two ensemble episodes, which I'm looking forward to. It's going to be Bully for Binky and Miss Fortune Teller. Hmm. So we'll take, be taking a look at those. And, uh, of course, thank you once again for sticking out with us. Sorry we couldn't get the episode to you last week. We will, of course, continue on in the future with a new episode every Friday. Lucas, what do you got? There's no escape. (laughs) Uh, For Lucas Mancini, uh, his Italian badness. My name is uh, Will Young. I use badness in like the sense of like his royal badness, not in that your Italian is anything negative. Ciao, Bella. Buona Pasqua. Bon appetit. That is French. Ponte de fame. (laughs) My name is Will Young. Thank you for joining us for Elwood City Limits. We will see you next time.